0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: Okay, so normally on this podcast, we walk around the galleries at MoMA and look at the art that's hanging there. Normal stuff. But today, I want to take you someplace secret. Someplace in the building that's totally off limits to the public. Okay, so to get there, you have to go down this little hallway and then there's like a bigger hallway and you have to go up some stairs. You have to pay some, dude. You know what? I've said too much. Okay, but when you get where you're going, you open this door and you're inside a lab. And there's all these big work tables. There's giant suction tubes hanging down from the ceiling, what sort of look like robot arms. There's a lot going on.
2: So sometimes for certain kinds of treatments, we have to use solvents and chemicals that are not necessarily too great for our health. So we use these to extract the fumes.
1: This is Ellen Davis. And all
2: around us
1: is just a ton of incredibly famous art. There's just like a Matisse leaning on a desk (laughs) against something not, I mean, in a very yeah, yeah. responsible way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way that's just so jarring to see work not hung up. There's a Picasso next to it, just on an easel. Okay, it was kind of like casually hooking up with a Picasso. It was incredible. So what room am I talking about? Where am I? You guys are like, oh, what are you saying? So I'm standing in MoMA's conservation department, and this is where paintings and other works of art go when they need a tune-up. And so Ellen is standing with me, and she's in front of this table, and she's got all these tools neatly laid out. There's scalpels, there's cotton swabs, there's tweezers, brushes, a ton of stuff. They're tiny little spoons. Whoa! They are minuscule spoons. They're used for corneal like a point. surgery. Wow! They <laughs> so look like, it looks like a point, and at the here. end there's a teeny tiny little spoon for like a ladybug.
2: Yes, it's a ladybug spoon. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: when she was in college, Ellen studied painting and pre med, which is kind of perfect considering what she's doing
2: now. She's been restoring art for ten years, and it's still very special. The Difference in seeing art in this space is that everything is much more real. Everything looks like a handmade object, which is amazing because it's exactly what all of these things are. Yeah. Um, everything is a physical thing that was made by one human being.
1: And that's when I turn my head and see what she's working on right now, the thing I've come in here to see. A giant canvas, more than four feet wide by six feet tall, slightly rounded corners, and it's the most intense blue I have ever seen. This is A Piece of Work, and I'm Abby Jacobson. So this episode is all about monochromes, those paintings that are just one color, where it looks like all the artist did was paint a canvas with a roller and then move on. But there is so much more to it than that. Okay, to give you a sense of this canvas that I saw, the one I'm standing in front of with Ellen, I need you to take a moment to imagine something. Shut your eyes if you need to. Imagine the color blue. Now picture it deeper. Now picture it sharper, almost electric. Picture the kind of blue that's the deepest bliss you have ever experienced. The kind of blue that is the deepest sorrow or agony you have ever experienced. That is what the artist Eve Klein wanted to capture. This incredibly specific blue. Klein filled hundreds of canvases with this special color. This piece we're looking at right now is from 1961. Eve
2: Klein made over 200 of these works. No two are identical, but they are all made with the same materials. I had to, like, turn my back while I was talking to you
1: away from it because it is so (laughs) vibrant and it's pretty consuming. Yeah. Um, So, okay, why don't you tell us about this piece that
2: you've been working on for six months? Uh, For about six months now, and there's still quite a bit of time to go on it. That's Um, nuts. Yeah.
1: Not to be too frank, but are you going crazy? (laughs) Someone said that your mom's been sending you orange stuff to counteract the blue.
2: Yeah, she's really worried about me. (laughs) What kind of stuff? Uh, Just just oranges? Whatever she finds that's orange. She'll just stick it in the mail. You should just wear orange. Yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah. Okay, back to the blue. Klein found this color to be very seductive. Um, totally and is. viewers also I'm going to like, should I start wearing it? this color? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but people who stand in front of this painting also find it to be like irresistible. It is a very powerful color, but because I'm working on it so up close and I'm focusing mostly on the texture of it, there's something that happens in your brain. I think it sort of cancels the color out, especially when you're focused on a much smaller area. But yeah, I have to take breaks. And <laughs> it's, I mean, it couldn't be more damaging than looking at a computer screen all day. No, you're right. This seems a lot better. I think it's way better. It's way better. Yeah, it's funny that for such a, a simple work, there can be so much painstaking work to go into it. But Eve Klein during this period was fascinated by this color, which is ultramarine blue, which is... A and that, this is a pigment. color, you, when you go
1: into an art yeah. store, this exists in every paint, yes. every, and yeah. every brand makes this color.
2: Yeah, so he was in love with the luminosity of this color in its unbound state, but he wanted to be able to put exactly this color on a vertical surface so he worked with a scientist in paris to create a formulation that would allow him to sort of retain this luminosity but on a vertical surface so it was applied to this surface with a paint roller so if you look at the back um, wow it's a look at the back you can see that it's made on a very fine canvas, but it's mounted onto a board. I, this is the thinnest yeah. um, canvas I've ever seen. It's almost like a like linen. or like a handkerchief or, or yeah. linen, yeah. So the roller creates this really sort of sharp texture on the front. Not that it's the same, but I've painted yeah, my exactly. room. And yeah. you get this
1: toothy, like you get yeah. like the... It's that sound. Yes. The sound is the same as the texture, kind of. It's like a stickiness. Exactly. You know, when you're talking about how he loved this color so much, but he spent so much time trying to figure out how to make this color blue the same on canvas and worked with the scientists. Like, Do you feel like in working on this, you are doing the exact same thing in this amazing way? It's all about
2: this color. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's all about this color. And it was all well, about and, uh, this yeah. color for him. I mean, it's, it's very beautiful. So he actually considered the physical painting itself, he called it, I believe, the ashes of his art. So the painting itself is, in a sense, not really the art. What he was interested in is the effect or the memory of the blue on the viewer. So what he was wanting was for the viewer and he used this word. He was pretty sexy to be (laughs) impregnated by blue. Yeah, he's real. Impregnated by blue. (laughs) Um, And later on, he made similar works with blue using sponges, and he would physically impregnate the sponge with blue. So he wanted the viewer to have that same feeling.
1: So I wanted to bring a friend in who I knew would appreciate this place and this art. In fact, he has a blue monochrome print in his house. This is amazing. Does does the print do it justice?
0: Uh... I mean, the print reminds me that I don't own this yet, but but this is amazing.
1: So that's Amir Thompson, founding member of the band The Roots, author, foodie, and most well-known as Questlove. And he was very excited. They want Uh, us to move away from the piece of art a little bit. Oh, (laughs) because we're going to hurt it? That's Casey, our engineer. We're like... (laughs) <laughs> uh, like we, were, we were no. standing very close to the painting, like um, scarily close that we would we would damage it. Okay, I knew how close we were. Nothing was going to happen. Anyways, I don't think that I've seen a Klein in person, or in, definitely not in this way, because this is like a more casual way to view it than on the museum wall, which is like kind of jarring. All right. But people are like, well, this is just blue. Like some people have a hard time with this. I fucking love it, See, but I'm...
0: To me, this speaks more volumes than any amount of intricate art that's available. Because the print in my house, sometimes I'll sit and just, I'll just sit and stare endlessly at it because I don't know. It's I just, what does it say to you? Does it calm you or?
1: It definitely calms me. You know, I've been talking to all these different people, just really going over the idea that when you view art, it's really about what happens between you and the piece, and it's sort of like what it makes you think of and feel. And yeah, I find it very peaceful. The color blue is very calming to me, and I like seeing all the texture. Like you have to get close. Once the mics aren't once in your we're face, allowed to. <laughs> yeah. but it, it just when you get close, it's like all around you. You know, right yeah, now we kind of see, yeah. yeah. Um, And I really love someone caring so much about one thing, this one color. And, like, there was so much went into this one color. And I think that, I don't know, that's kind of rare. Like, I personally find myself kind of, like, torn in directions Mm -hmm. creatively. I don't know. I feel like maybe you have your hand in quite a bit. Right. But, like, it's just, like, this color was all he cared about during this time. And Also, the corners are so dope. I just like that that's the simple...
0: See, it's good to hear your take on it because when uh, colors are more... What's the term? uh, Synesthesia. I hear stuff when I see colors.
1: Oh,
3: wow.
0: So there's a particular... I don't know. This just reads B-flat to me, like a very low-range B-flat. So when I see it, I hear... I'm making a get out reference. I go into a sunken place, like a. I hear very deep, okay. I sound like the the art snobs that I, I was afraid it. I love it. No, but
1: the, you're not. You actually don't sound like an art snob. You sound like exactly what you do for a living and why you create music. So when you see shit, like you yeah. hear like
0: I, I, tones and. I I hear sounds when I see it. So I think that's the primary reason why the print is in my house.
1: That metaphor, the sound of a single note, that really stuck with me. And after Amir and I talked, I did a little bit of research and discovered the craziest thing. Yves Klein didn't just make visual art, he also made music. Back in 1960, he wrote a piece for a full orchestra and he called it the monotone symphony. It's an hour long, it starts with 30 minutes of the entire orchestra all playing just one note. and then 30 minutes of silence. I don't think Amir knew this, but they're on the same page. They're on the same note. I don't know. (laughs) That, my friends, is a piece of work. More in a minute. When you were talking about that, I'm like, I have no art on my
0: walls. I just started. There,
1: it's a lot of pressure, like, to find the right thing.
0: Go solid.
1: I know. Now, the hearing solid you talk about timeless. it.
0: Like, should will- I just
1: get a Klein?
0: Yes. Should you, I just get, just just get write one? Just write, write a few screenplays. You know what? It's a
1: write-off, right? Yes, it is. This is work, technically, and it's a write-off.
0: I guarantee you, this will last the standard of time.
1: So I bought a Klein, and it's in my apartment. And I get very close to it. Just kidding. But listen, I did really fall in love with Klein's blue. And then I decided to walk around the galleries at MOMA to see what other monochrome paintings I might come across. And I find this whole room dedicated to the works of this Russian artist, Kazimir Malievich. All of the paintings in this room were made in the early 1900s, around the time of the Russian Revolution. I walk in. Right in front of me, there's this painting of two white squares, one on top of the other. And one square is like this slightly different white than the other one. And the top one is a little askew. So I read a little
3: bit about... Malevich being interested... Malevich. Malevich. Malevich.
1: I, mean, I, I was saying Malovich? Malovich. I think. John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> this is Anne Umland. She's just a lovely human being, and she also happens to be a curator who specializes in this stuff.
3: I always think, oh, I hope my brother-in-law is not listening, I'm, but my brother-in-law is always my audience in my
1: mind because it's very he's because he's an irrigation in,
3: specialist okay. he really would probably walk up to this and say huh two squares I could draw two squares and would just go by right and then I suppose I would try to get him to start thinking about well well they're two squares but the artist clearly had to make a decision about their two different colors mm-hmm. and why is one on the diagonal and another yeah. not yeah. And why would anyone choose to make a picture just of two squares?
1: And then maybe my brother in law would still say, I'm not interested. Yeah. But I'm guessing this was probably so jarring and was risky. These are, it just feels like modern and it feels like against, like it's crazy that two squares Mm -hmm. could feel against. Uh-huh. Something, but it does feel like, fuck you, I'm doing these squares. Right. And nothing else. You can look at some art that's, like, so clearly, literally mm-hmm. talking about the time. Like, it's in the paintings yes. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't know.
3: Oh, I love what you said about that, because I think, for me... All other things aside, what a picture, like this white-on-white, that is just that white square on a white background, is that sort of is this license to say, we don't know. It's okay to feel uncertain. Um, Pictures can mean many different things to many different people. And so, in some, if you just step past that, because I know this is the type of picture that still to this day might... um, make some people feel as though the artist was trying to pull over some sort of a joke. You know, is it a joke that it's just this picture of nothing? And
1: right, where people look at it and they're like, well, I, mean, I just don't get Like, maybe I'm not seeing the thing that they're trying to say. say. But then if you look at it, I always like when I give tours, I sort of say to people, so
3: let's look at the picture for 30 seconds. And then tell me what you notice
1: about it. At first, it found it very calming, mm-hmm. but then it started to make me uneasy because it's, like, off-kilt. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like... It, and then I started to feel like the box wasn't a true box in the center. Which it's not. It's not. It's off, right? right? right. And so it started to make me feel like something that's so simple was making me feel, like, not, like, totally stable. Mm-hmm. Which I think, because... Because it has no image, it's
3: not constructed perspectively. There's no... Perspectively. Was that... That's,
1: that's a, a great word. Is that a good
3: word or is it just... Right? He doesn't make a box. he doesn't make lines. He's wow. not creating the illusion of a space that is secure and grounded that we can no, that relate ourselves to. You can kind of to. like feel like... Or I know where my body is in relation to what's pictured there. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, this, too, was made one year after the Russian Revolution. So it's sort of like thinking, oh, I want to know right. more right. the social, We're- political, historical context and this idea of creating a new language for a new era.
1: Malevich was one of the first artists to stop painting images of things in the visible world. So like still lifes or landscapes. He was moving away from that. He wanted to capture feelings with simple lines or shapes, which was pretty radical at the time. This is a big statement to say because, I don't know, it's kind of, I feel like we're at an interesting time right mm-hmm. now. Unsettling. And art is obviously being made in response to what's going on, but mm-hmm. I, we probably won't even know what the... Like what the equivalent to this riskiness is, right? Like yes, until
3: a hundred years later. Yeah, and so yeah.
1: you can look at really modern, like right now, art, and you can see new changes emerging and stuff. But you won't know what the thing that was like. Whoa, that was that was the revolution that they were doing that.
3: Absolutely, and that means it's an exhilarating time to be paying attention to
1: art. Yeah, because that moment could be anywhere. Yeah. I do understand what it must have been like to be trying to express yourself in opposition of something. Mm-hmm. And, and to create something for the future, Yeah, which I think is just so um,
3: great that the pictures ended up in the museum. So we yeah. have that story to tell. Anyway, that's a little sappy, but that's my ending.
1: <laughs> I love <laughs> sappy stuff. I really do love sappy stuff. And I also really love the idea of taking time. I feel like so often we'll go into museums with this idea that we have to see everything inside, every famous piece of art. It's like a mad dash to see all the most important paintings and the works that we're supposed to see and what we're told to see. But what if we just went in and looked at one piece for an hour? What would we see? And this idea of taking time is something Amir has been thinking a lot about, too.
0: No, this this is what I learned from Chris Rock. He said that um, we need to learn how to get bored again. And when he explained it to me, then uh, not only did I understand the need to not fill up every space with entertainment. Um, I used to make fun of a lot of my friends who had property in upstate New York. I have a bunch of I'm sure you have a lot of friends in the acting communities like, "Oh, we're going upstate this weekend to the to the ca- quote to the cabin, yeah, and I would laugh at them because my theory was like I need to be within at least one hundred and twenty seconds of a Dwayne Reed just to feel safe
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I might need something everything is pharmacy at least yeah, a block yeah.
0: away just to feel safe, <laughs> but I just never dug the idea of isolation and silence and um You know, the danger in filling up all your time, especially now that we live in the age that we live in, where, like, if you're bored, your first default move is to check your phone. Ah, let me see my Facebook page. Ah, let me see what's on Huffington. Ah, let me see, you know, you just, you got to fill up your mind. And the problem with that is that there's an amount of silence that you need so that you can hear ideas that are given to you. And I'll say that maybe like a year and a half ago, I started, I used to laugh at people that were meditating and I didn't realize how important silence is and that sort of thing. So I'll say that as of now, maybe in the last three months, I've actually enjoyed being bored.
1: I love that. I feel very busy. I don't think I'm even half as busy as you are, but I do feel like that workaholic like tendency where I like don't say no to a lot. I'm, I'm like, I gotta, gotta like keep.
0: Oh, especially see, especially the zone that you're in right now, like you're on a well-loved, well-crafted show that you've created, and I feel as though like every time I watch Broad City, I'm thinking like, oh, they'll never top this one, and then next week, like, oh, they, topped that that's
1: oh, the oh, they top that one. Oh,
0: stop! But the, that's the thing, though. Like,
1: I've been feeling that. I like, I know I need what you're saying but I like have kind of been resisting it.
0: At first I used to panic, like, I gotta be busy, but then to do all the things that I'm involved with, I now have to make space just to be bored and sit silent, so.
1: I think it makes a lot of sense that you have a client in your house. That's like your cabin in the woods.
0: It's it's my safe space.
1: Let's all get cabins in the woods, or monochromes, or just take more time. Time is good. You took the time to listen to this, and that's very cool. I'm Abby Jacobson, and this is a piece of work. Thanks to Ann Umland, Amir Thompson, and Ellen Davis. The show is a co production of WMYC Studios and MoMA, and again, thanks for listening.